come on, baby. I feel it now. I feel it now. Yes. And look at that. We are running. We are running. Never give up. Never surrender. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is my first Locals uh, live stream. And wanted to, of course, thank you guys so much for joining me in this glorious corner of the Internet. And let's see here. Uh, I'm here for questions. I don't think they do audio here. And, uh, yeah, so I, I started, but um, it chose the wrong camera. So I finally had to dig up a notebook with only one camera. <laughs> Not very common. And so, um, yes. Uh, let's see here. He broke through. Yes. And thanks, of course. Freedomain.locals.com. Appreciate you uh, joining me. And uh, I will uh, just, I'm just going to share a little bit here and there. And then... I will take your questions very, uh, very happily. Join my live stream. Ba -ba -bum. Boom. All right. And um, I'm, I'm here for, uh, for a good solid hour. Happy to ask and answer any questions. Well, I guess not really ask. Well, I guess I could ask. I guess I could ask. And... Um, you can uh, you can join me. So let's see here. Join my live stream. I always get the technology sweats, you know, like something should be working, something should be running, and suddenly it's like, nope, I'm not. I'm going to get the technology sweats instead because things that should be working aren't, and uh, and so on. Uh, internet as a whole, which is why I'm not in the studio, but we'll survive. We will survive. All right, so let me just throw out one other place. And then we are good to go. Uh, announcements. Yes, at everyone. No, need lowercase now. All right. So let me get to your questions and we will uh, take it from there. All right. So somebody says... Uh, two hours of time. Yes, that's just on Podbean. I mean, somebody said, hey, Steph, I could really use your advice. I'm in a great two and a half year relationship, but recently started to have a gut feeling doubt that I don't want to commit to her. What do you say to people with premarital doubt? Thanks. So I, I dislike this idea as a whole. They call it like the pre-wedding jitters or uh, and all that sort of stuff. So for me... Uh, that was uh, that wasn't the case. Now I was in a relationship where I proposed, and then I was in a relationship where I proposed. So two, two count them, two relationships where I proposed. Now the first relationship, I mean, there's a funny thing that happens when you're young, which is you don't see people's limitations particularly when you're all starting out. Like, you're starting out in life, and you don't really see people's limitations. The limit, so, you know, you, you're, you're in uh, university, and you're chugging away, you're doing your essays, you're, you're going to dances, you're whatever, and you don't really see people's limitations, because you're in the, the structured train track of existence, right? Ah, you see, but then what happens, and it's pretty brutal the way this goes, what happens then is... 
you jump the tracks. In other words, you get out of university. And, you know, for most people, if they've been in daycare, they're in this structured existence for like, I don't know, 20 years, 20 years straight. You're just being told what to do, where to go. You're given very limited choices and your next day is all sorted out for you. It's just all sorted out for you and you don't have to decide anything from that sort of blank slate. And so with the first woman I met in university, she seemed, uh, you know, pretty competent and, and all of that. But what happened was, of course, as we left university and made our way into the world, I had a very good upward trajectory and she just stalled out. And I realized, sort of looking back in hindsight, that what had happened was she had been on this train track and therefore went at a particular speed. But once she jumped the tracks, she couldn't figure out where to go or what to do. I mean, she had sort of ambitions, but she also wasn't hugely willing to do what was necessary to achieve unusual ambitions. So I proposed to her and... Uh, it's just, it's funny. I mean, it's so strange the way this stuff works. It was just a chance comment from a friend of mine's girlfriend when I was engaged. And she said, you know, I sort of had the feeling that people who were engaged were supposed to be happier. And it's like, huh. That's actually a very good, <laughs> it's a very good point. It's a very good point. People who are engaged are, in fact, supposed to be happier. Now, this was a staggering moment for me it kind of hit me hard like you know ice water to the chest in the moment and then it just kind of swelled and grew in me because it was not the right relationship for me it was it was one of these relationships it had you know really really good stuff really really fun stuff some unstable stuff some um uh, you know a, a lot of things like and i realized the only way i kept peace in the relationship was pretending everything was my fault right that's the only way that i was able to keep peace in the relationship was to pretend everything was my uh, fault and that's that's an unsustainable situation right <laughs> for white people as a whole i guess right and so what happened was i mulled over and and here's the thing why was it not my close friends my my family why was it some friend's girlfriend who mentioned this and not anyone else in my life who had anything to say about a marriage that would not have worked out and could have been quite disastrous for me. Like, have you ever had this? Hit me with a why if you've had this where there's something in your life where it's going to be a big disaster and nobody around you seems to notice, nobody around you seems to bring you up short, nobody around you seems to alert you to this highly dangerous possibility and maybe just some random flyby person comes by. I didn't even maintain my friendship with that a guy, which was, and his girlfriend, uh, for various reasons I'll get into perhaps another time. It's not particularly relevant to this story. And then I was sort of mulling this over, mulling this over, and I just remember finally saying to her, you know, you're very critical of me, but my life is really going places, and your life is totally stalled. Totally stalled. And you have no... So, I mean, I don't mind being criticized. I think it could be helpful, but... I think that you've kind of made, like, instead of having a career, your career is correcting me. And that's pretty exhausting for both of us. And um, and it just sort of hit me at the time. It's like, I don't, I don't want to continue. I don't want to continue. And so I just laid out, it sort of all came pouring out of me. I just laid out the conditions for a continued relationship. She wouldn't agree to them, packed up my bags, and left. Now, when I met my current wife... Well, my, my wife of almost 20 years, 
it's funny because she made the people around me quite nervous and were the, the people around me were not they weren't massively negative well one person was but they were much more comfortable with the relationship that was going to fail than they were with the relationship that has succeeded wonderfully and that's you see it's it's not just about your girlfriend right it's about the fact that you're bringing this question to a live stream. And I'm not criticizing you for doing that. I'm very glad that you have. And it's a very, very wise thing to do if you have these doubts. But the issue is not your girlfriend. The issue is not your fiance. The issue is all the people around you who have let this continue or who you cannot talk to about your concerns. When I broke up with the first girl I pr proposed to, I realized that the breakup was going to have massive ramifications because I then had to ask everyone, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you see anything? And it turns out, you, you think it's indifference, but it's not. It turns out that people were highly invested in my failure in very subtle ways who were around me, and I could not have succeeded in the way that I have, for better and for worse, if I had kept the mindset of those people around me. They were invested in my failure for philosophical reasons, because I was the objective, rational, universal morality guy, and they were more subjective, uh, subjectivists and relativists and so on. So what I would do, if I were you, uh, I, I would not ignore these feelings of concern, of caution, of fear. And I've lived long enough now to know, I know of two marriages, knew of them, they're not around anymore. I knew of two marriages where the men had massive hesitations about their girlfriend's temper. And as it turned out, both of those marriages and this is quite in the past now, both of those marriages ended up not working out because of the woman's temper. So do not ignore your concerns. Do not ignore what you are worried about. Instead, really, really focus on figuring out why no one is helping you in your life, because you really, really need people who are going to help you in your life, if that helps or makes any sense. So let's see here. What was the deciding factor that got you into therapy? I'm seven years sober. So I had tried therapy once or twice before, but it just didn't didn't take it. the people. I remember one guy just completely looked completely bored and sleepy while I was talking, and like I'm not paying for that. I'm not paying for that. And so what got me into therapy was, I mean, over a year of insomnia, uh, which is not. Jordan Peterson style, like not sleeping at all, but just barely sleeping and being tired all the day and, and so on. And so I was like, you know, I have got to figure out what on earth is going on. Uh, and uh, what was going on was pretty, pretty big as a whole. Uh, hello from Poland. Hello. I'm very, very glad to see you. Love your country. And thank you so much for that wonderful hospitality uh, and so on. Right. So let's see here. Oh, jump to recent messages. That might be helpful. Okay, good. I'm sorry. I thought nobody was asking me questions. I'm like, oh my god, what the, what the, what the? All right. Um, chat's kind of intrusive on mobile. Nice color top. It's a. Uh, I guess you can't see this, right? It's actually a. Uh, it's a Freedom End shirt. I like this a lot more than D Live. Good. Oh yeah, this report family members of the FBI. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Um, let's see here. Uh, any comments on the recent development in Durban, South Africa? So, yes. I mean, so for those of you who haven't been following, there are riots. The police are failing to respond. People are shooting looters. 
I mean, it is pure communist-inspired chaos in South Africa, which really was the purpose of um, the uh, end of uh, the current or the previous political regime in South Africa. Because in, in South Africa, the whites said, look, South Africa is a big country. There are lots of different ethnicities here. Let's just create like Europe. Let's just create a place like Europe. But the blacks didn't generally want to go and live with the blacks. They wanted to live among the whites for welfare and for better health care and better education and so on. And so that failed. And now whites are, I mean, whites settled the land. Whites created South Africa. Whites have been in South Africa longer than whites have been in America. And uh, yeah, it's uh, now they've been completely swamped, right? I mean, they were originally the majority inhabitants. Then they were a parity. And now they're a despised minority. And uh, for those of you who think that affirmative action will end, uh, no, affirmative action is still going on in, in South Africa. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's horrible. I really can't even think about it too much. It's it's just brutal. Uh, it is, um, I mean, the communists targeted South Africa and wished to disrupt and destroy it. And it went from a first world country to now a third world country in just a couple of decades. And uh, it's um, horrifyingly instructive. All right. Did you feel bad for wasting your time once the relationship was over? What's a good time frame to determine if a woman is a good match or not? Well, I, I, and I can't obviously speak to every relationship. I'm sorry, that's a useless thing to say to such an intelligence audience. I, I apologize. So I can only compare a bunch of relationships that didn't work out where I was just treading water and killing time to some degree. And then a relationship which uh, did work out. And I don't really regret or waste the time that I spent in those other relationships. I do wish, I mean, if I had been surrounded by better people, uh, people who cared about me, people who would sit me down, you know, I mean, I spent huge amounts of time with people and it's one of these things, where it, it just makes me mad even just looking back at, it, back at it in hindsight. Like I spent so much time with people and, you know, friends, family and so on. And we talked about everything under the sun and over my dating from, I don't know, 15 to 35, right? So over 25 years of dating, um, I really never got any thoughts or review of girlfriends. And I think so. I, I mean, I dated some very good looking women and I, I think, I mean, that was part of my shallowness, of course, but some of them were very nice as well. But I think there was a lot of jealousy from my friends about my looks or sexual charisma or whatever it was that, that had me get uh, these these types of women, but yeah, and people just didn't didn't help me out. Didn't talk to me about whether I was happy, what I was looking for, whether my values were being manifested in the relationship, and so on. So I don't regret the time because you you can't know everything. I mean, you can't know before you know. What I was was in hot pursuit of knowledge, and really, that's the best that you can do. And it's important to remember that the wisdom in your life is not just an individual endeavor. It's not just you as an individual, or you and books, or you and this podcast, or you and, you know, whatever you listen to that gives you wisdom, that's not how this kind of stuff works. The way that these kinds of things work is that wisdom is a community. Wisdom is a community phenomenon. And you can't be more wise than the least wise person around you in many ways. You cannot be more wise than the least wise person around you. Because you're giving them that permission to be around you, which means you lower the standards for yourself. You cannot be, you cannot make better decisions than the worst decision maker around you. So when you choose your social environment, 
you are choosing your own moral standards. I mean, I know a lot of people come from the Randian uh, objectivist tradition, which is, you know, but these were books, and even Ayn Rand herself said these are not prescriptions for action. Uh, these are um, uh, romantic ideals, right? So uh, you've got to choose your community. You've got to choose your community. All right. What do we got here? That's why I'm so confused about my doubt. It's been a 95% positive slash healthy relationship. Well, that's good. That's good. So the doubt could be about a number of things. The doubt could be about whether she's masking, you know, whether she's battening down the crazy uh, because people, but people can't usually do that for more than six to eight months. After that, it just kind of comes out and it's been longer than that. It could be that you're concerned about her family. It could be that you're concerned about her friends. It may be her, like whoever. It could be that there are other people around her that you're going to end up in a kind of grim battle for her soul. You know, I mean, I, I had a friend. Uh, he, he was learning philosophy. He was learning self-knowledge. And then another guy came along who drew him back into the sort of empty-headed party, cottage drinking stuff. And that friend said, oh, yeah, we're, we're in a battle over this guy's soul, and I'm going to win. And he's like, yeah, he did. So... Uh, what do you think about keeping abusers out of your life? What if that means being lonely? At what point is, what, is it worth asking if you are the abuser? Well, it's always a good question to ask if you're the bad guy. Of, of course. I mean, you don't think I've asked myself <laughs> that over the years. Maybe I am the bad guy. And you've got to go back to principles and judge these things um, according to objective morals, right? So, and, and if you're telling the truth and so on, that sort of matters. So here's the problem. If you have abusers in your life, you will never get a quality relationship. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go, my friends. This is the local's wisdom I'm passing along. If you have abusive people in your life, you and again, I, I don't mean necessarily some mean guy at work, or I mean like in your chosen personal relationships, if you have abusers in your life, you will never, ever, ever get a quality relationship because the person who comes into your life who may be high quality or who is high quality those people will look at your relationships and say oh he allows abusers which means he's okay with abuse which means he could be an abuser himself the abusers will be in my life now because a quality person doesn't have abusive relationships in her life let's say sort of male to female right a quality person does not have abusive relationships in her life and she probably was born with some and worked to get those abusive relationships out of her life. Now, if she comes around you and you have abusers in your life, then she's like, okay, well, I just finished repairing this boat and now this guy wants to drop a depth charge at the bottom and just put me right back to square one. And she's just not going to be wanting to do that. So yeah, there is loneliness for sure. You've got to pass through that desert. Read my free book, On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion. And you can let me know. Uh, you know, there's a whole thing at the end there about, yeah, you've got to go through the lonely phase to get away from the abusers. You've got to detox. You've got to deal with your PTSD from abusers. And then you get the good people uh, in your life. Better to be alone than in bad company. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the opportunity costs of abusers. It's not just the presence of abusers. It's the absence of good people because of the abusers. That's the real pain. That's the real pain. All right. Let's see here. Whites in South Africa are living in hell. Yeah, and it's not, not an accident for sure. Let's see here. How I would I go about getting homeschooled to be accepted in my country? Uh, I'm sorry. You, you consult a lawyer about that kind of stuff. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. 
yeah, wisdom is a community phenomenon. This is why it's great to have these kinds of communities, and this is why, you know, they want to deplatform and break up communities and so on, right? Uh, let's see here. How do I fe deal with a father that blames all of his personal failures on others? I'm not sure what you mean by deal with. Do you mean change him? You can't. You can't change people. You can provide information. You can be inspiring. Like if you've got someone who's fat and you want them to lose weight, nagging them will almost never do it. If you lose weight, if you're happy, maybe you can inspire them. Maybe something else will happen. But generally, the way things work, and hit me with a why, if you've ever, ever experienced this phenomenon. I shouldn't laugh, but it's kind of brutal, right? So, it's so fun. Like many years ago, I... I um, my my very first business was uh, tech support, like on-site tech support. I set up networks, I uh, fixed people's computers, uh, and all and trained them and all that kind of stuff. And um, I didn't even have a car, so I used to have to charge people for transportation, which was fine if they were in the city, but it got kind of expensive if I had to take a cab outside the city. Anyway, so I went and wired some guy's house back before Wi-Fi. I put the um, network cables through his wall and wired up all his computers, got him on the internet and all that. And anyway, it was too late for him to drive me all the way back. Again, didn't have a car. So I slept there the night, and then the next day I went on a big, long training session. For He was in the in insurance industry. And it was kind of interesting. I felt vaguely kidnapped, but it was kind of interesting. And one of the things that happened on that training day was somebody said you know like you guys are insurance people you're professionals which means that you'll do most you'll do almost anything i ask you to and almost nothing i tell you to and that just phrase just kind of burned in my brain and i've sort of in hindsight was happy to you know the whole day and a half kidnapping so to speak joke was worth it just for that one phrase hit me with a why if you've ever found that the more you insist the more they resist the more you insist the more they resist the more you ramp up what you want people to do, the more they uh, will avoid it. And if you've ever been a parent, that will really, really, uh, really happen for you. So you can't. The more you insist on people, the more you demand your dad take responsibility, the more he's going to push back and fight you. Not fighting good advice is like the boss level of self-knowledge. Not fighting good advice. Not feeling when somebody gives you good advice that they're telling you what to do and bullying you and and taking away your free will and all that. It's really sad, you know, like if if people give you good advice and you don't resist it, you've mastered self-knowledge because most people will just fight like hell. Uh, I did just that and have been a total loner for the past six years. Sorry, let me just see what Lucy is saying here. Well, I mean, are you out there doing things? I mean, I, I met my wife playing volleyball. I mean, I've I've gone to circus camp i've gone like where i learned how to do the trapeze uh i i've gone rock climbing uh, i've gone parachuting i mean go out and do things because you know no one's going to knock on your door and offer to be your friend right let's see here interesting this does not really i have to keep okay that's fine all right i'm having trouble getting out of the lonely phase so many traumatized people uh, yes, but uh, you may be one of them still, right? Because you have to bring uh, joy. You have to bring joy to people in your life. I mean, you you have to. And, uh, you know, I've said this to my daughter, you know, like, usually 
the way you greet someone in the morning is how the day is going to go. So, you know, go down, give them a tickle, give them a smile, make them laugh, uh, give them a big hug. And that just sets the day off on the right path. And so if you're like lonely and isolated and, you know, you see crazy people everywhere and you're black pilled and so on. I mean, that's, I wouldn't say that's too much wisdom, too muchness, right? But you got to always try and navigate that Aristotelian mean in everything but UPB, right? So the Aristotelian mean is don't be an ignorant fool, learn about the dangers in the world, but don't, don't only focus on the dangers of the world. Otherwise, the dangers of the world are no longer in the future, but in the present. You have to push off the negatives you see coming so that you can enjoy the present. Otherwise, the negatives have won. The negatives have, have already won. Yes, Western civilization is going in a bad direction. And you know what? You can't do much about it. I mean, you can get married, you can have kids, you can talk to people, and that's great. And of course, if enough people do that, then, you know, that that's a good thing. You can spread philosophy and so on. But as far, and, and look, I mean, I'm a guy who's like, I spent 40 years in the trenches, right? I spent 40 years uh, working like hell to turn this around and look where we are. And I, you know, I have pretty significant talents and abilities and technical knowledge and a pleasant speaking voice and I'm quick on my feet and a good debater. And I, you know, got to, uh, as you know, I mean, it's probably uh, 800 million views and downloads of this philosophy show. That's more than just about anybody. And what has happened? What has the result been? Well, individuals have changed. Society has not. Right? Individuals, you can change individuals. You cannot change society. So I get the black pill stuff. I get, oh my gosh, you know, South Africa is our future. I, I understand that stuff. And, you know, COVID and vaccinations and all of this, I get all of that. I mean, I really, really do. But if you get drawn into a place of staring at the black moor of oncoming disaster, then you've already lost. Because then your life is just unhappy. And then you have nothing to save, nothing to preserve. And you can't inspire anyone for that matter either. I won't let them take away my happiness in the day. Uh, Steph was wondering about your wife's philosophy when you guys met. Was it close to yours? Did she grow to understand yours better? Uh, no, it wasn't a perfect fit. I mean, that wouldn't be possible. I mean, I'm not a perfect fit from day to day. I change my mind, you know, on a regular basis. No, I mean, but, you know, she's trained in the scientific method and reason and evidence win the day. So she's changed my mind about a lot of stuff and I've changed her mind and, and not changed. But we've both tried to align with reason and evidence over time. All right. Uh, I had a moment in my life surrounded by extended family members when I had a wake up moment realization, wait a minute, I'm not the crazy one. I've allowed crazy people to own all of my time and attention. Yeah, things had to change. Things had to change. Yes, that's right. Best to ask yourself before whatever situation you go into, what is your breaking point? Yeah, no, that's very true. That's very, you, you have to have a standard of disconnection. You have to have a standard of disconnection. And I mean, I got to the point in, in my business career where I said, look, if I have to mislead one more client, I, I just can't do it. In other words, if I have to say, oh, yeah, you can get this thing implemented in X amount of time when I actually all the tech people have told me it's like 3X or 5X the amount of time, I, I can't do it, right? And I had to have a breaking point in my literary career, right? Which was, you know, if I keep writing books and they never get published, at some point I have to stop. I have to stop. Otherwise, it just becomes crazy. And you have to have a disconnect phenomenon. And for me, when it came to the increasing, you know, post-Trump, 
um, censorship on social media platforms, I had to say to myself, okay, I can either water myself down to the point where I'm not in any risk of deplatforming, but I'm also not saying anything that I truly believe in, or tell the truth and damn the torpedoes, right? Tell the truth and shame the devil, or as I was raised, tell the truth that the sky is full. And you have to have a point at which you're going to say, no, I'm not going to give up essential and important truths for the sake of uh, silencing myself, because then there's been no point to any of this, right? You got Every time you go into something, it's a great point. Every time you go into something, have yourself a point or a situation at which you're going to say, uh, nope, no, ain't going to do that. Ain't going to do that. Thank you very much. All right, let's see here. Steph, wearing a mask at my young adult's Bible study is voluntary. I don't wear one, and neither does my girl. I'm certainly the alpha in the group. The males know, no longer wear one, but the females still do. How do I encourage them to break from the sheep think other than leading by example? I'm afraid they won't be chosen by good males unless they express individualism and independent thinking. Okay, so uh, I would say you're in a Bible study group. What does the Bible have to say about leadership in a family? Just go back and read that stuff, and you'll realize that you don't you don't want women to become like men. You don't want, want women to become like men. Otherwise, there's very little point uh, to having a complementary... Like, like saying, I want a jigsaw puzzle, and all the pieces are the same. It's like, okay, then you can't put it together, right? So, All right, so let's see here. Uh, it's funny, says Michael. One of the moments that I think contributed to my doubt about the relationship was when you said you had no hesitation about getting married. Do you think... A fear of commitment is real, even if it's with the right person. I I didn't have any fear of commitment, and I've never had a fear of commitment. And to, to be honest, the idea of going out into the dating world right now is uh, something that makes my balls shrink back up into my intestines. So, no. Um, now, again, I was older probably than you, had a little bit more experience, and knew what a treasure I had stumbled upon with my wife. So, um uh, hey, Steph, how did the quote go? Problems created by isolation cannot be solved in isolation. What are your thoughts on this? So um, when, I, when I started really working on self-knowledge, I had people around me that really needed and could have benefited enormously from self-knowledge. And what I said to them was, you know, I'm doing these workbooks, uh, and then I went to therapy and so on. And people said, yeah, I've got some dysfunction, but I'll work on it on my own, right? That was the big thing. I will work on it on my own. And spoiler, they never worked on it on their own. The number of people I tried to get to go to therapy, the number of people I tried to help improve their relationships, the number of parents I tried to improve their parenting, uh, it's, uh, I mean, that's why I love you guys so much because I mean, very few people in my life at the time, back then, now it's different, but back then they just didn't listen to me. So people say, I'm going to work on this problem on my own. But most problems arise from isolation, right? To isolate people, to, to lock them up in the prison of their own minds is a sublime form of torture for a social animal. So the way that you do that, of course, is you tell so many lies in society and then you attack whoever tells the truth. And that way, people are either lying to each other, which means they can't connect and can't bond and can't form a community, or they're lying to others by not telling the truth because it's too punishing to tell the truth. They're lying to others. And what that means is they can't have a community. So you have to have to have to find people and surround yourself with people you don't have to lie to. 
You don't have to lie to. Otherwise, you don't have a community. You don't have companionship. You don't have intimacy. You don't. We're social animals. And so, you know, one of the most horrible things about communism, outside of the sheer brutality, but one of the most horrible things about communism, you couldn't tell the truth about communism. You couldn't say, I don't like it, it's violent, it's destructive, because people around you might report you, and then you get thrown in a gulag. And so you're locked in a prison of your own mind, and you're on a death spiral to mortality because you can't open your mouth. And of course, you know, we all know that, that, that all of the topics um, that, that got me deplatformed and so on, you know, the deplatforming is saying to people, if you talk about these things, we will destroy you, and that locks you in a prison of truth that you can't escape and bond with other people to. You can't build a community. You can't say facts to each other. And so everything becomes manipulation and avoidance and no relationships, no love can occur. So if you've got someone you can really tell the truth to, hang on to that person. So problems created by isolation cannot be solved in isolation. And most, so most of what occurs in childhood, if you have a bad childhood, I think, I'm not saying this is entirely, I mean, it's certainly not proven, but I'm not saying it's entirely the case. But I think one of the largest issues with being abused as a child is that you are isolated because you can't talk about the abuse in your community. And that's the isolation that occurs. And that's the isolation that continues. When you leave the abusive relationship, you're no longer being abused. Because you're no longer being abused, where is the trauma? Well, the trauma is in the isolation that comes from having been abused and not being able to talk about it when you were a child and also not being able to or feeling that you can talk about it as an adult. So isolation is the most fundamental aspect of abuse that occurs up to the uh, adult life. All right, so let's see here. Uh, people talking to each other. That's great. Exactly what we're talking about. Exactly what we're talking about. I find most therapists unbearable. Well, mm, yeah, I mean, my therapist and I differed on a lot of things. So we didn't really touch much on philosophy, of course. But she was much more mystical than, than I was. But again, with the mysticism came a respect for the unconscious that was very helpful to me. Because I had this unconscious that was trying to wake me up. But because my conscious mind is so agile and quick, it kind of sits on my unconscious like the jolly green giant on a Shetland pony. And so I needed to get a deeper respect for my gut instincts, my dreams, and all of that. And she really, really helped me with that. And that was great. Thoughts on sociopathy and any tips for detecting them and how to best deal with them? I have a bad feeling the percentage of society that has that tendency is a lot higher than any estimate. Yeah, so a couple of percent, I think, sociopathy and, and what used to be called psychopathy, psychop psychopathy and so on. I mean, you throw in narcissism and so on. We're starting to talk about a fairly substantial number of people. So a sociopath in general is very charming, is very interested in you, like very much focuses on you when they're talking, if they want something from you. If they're not, if they don't want anything from you, it's like you don't exist. So if you feel that you're in the presence of someone and you either don't exist or you're kind of inflated by their rapid attention, that usually is a sign that you're with somebody who is very disturbed. And so the sociopath, you know, you got to think like if you're in the kitchen drawer, everybody has these stupid kitchen drawers where you throw miscellaneous crap into. 
you know, like you've got some uh, eye drops and an old battery charger and some pens and an old deck of cards with three pieces. Like everybody's got these kitchen drawers where you just, it's just your random stuff, right? And then you have a fake memory of what's in there. And, and every time you go in there, you're like, oh, that's what happened to this. And then you put it at the front and then you forget about it. Anyway, so the mystery drawers of kitchenness. When you're looking for a particular thing, I was looking for some crazy glue the other day to fix something. And I was like, I think that's in the miscellaneous kitchen drawer. And so I'm looking in and I'm just scooping through stuff. I'm scooping through all the stuff that, you know, uh, old business cards of people I probably will never contact in the future. right? So you're just scooping through stuff, looking for what you want. And you don't take out and turn around and interact. You just scoop, not not crazy clue, not crazy clue. Not. And so uh, a sociopath looks at people that way. Like people are just a miscellaneous kitchen drawer. Ah, you were wondering where I was going with this, would you? So people are like all the stuff in a miscellaneous kitchen drawer. And the sociopath is like, don't need, don't need, don't need. Ah, that's what I need. And then you focus all your effort and you pull that out and you use it and so on. And so when a sociopath is looking at a crowd of people, he or she is assessing who's of value, who's of utility, and who's not, who's higher status, who can provide benefits, and who can't. And if you are not someone who can provide benefit, then you feel like you don't exist to the sociopath. They don't even give you the cursory, hi, how you doing, nice to see you, blah, 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 even a little bit, right? They just completely ignore you in the same way I ignored everything that wasn't crazy glue in the miscellaneous kitchen drawer. And so if you feel like you don't exist around someone, that, that they're really walled off, that they're of no interest in you, and they're, what did I talk about with uh, someone when I was in uh, the EU? Um, cocktail eyes, you know, where you're sitting across someone at a party, and they're just looking around for someone better to talk to. Not that that ever happened to me, but you know what I mean. So if you feel like you don't exist, or, of course, if the sociopath wants something from you, they laser lock in. They laser lock, and it's like nobody else in the world exists, and you, you know, it's it's a lot to deal with that level of attention. So if you feel like you don't exist, or you feel like you exist too much in their eyes, you're probably dealing with somebody quite disturbed, and it might be good to keep your eyes peeled. Uh, most therapists can't handle the truth. Well, um, it's always hard to know with regulated professionals. It's like the doctors, right? So what do doctors think of various treatments for COVID? It's hard to tell because a lot of them get threatened if they talk about it. So. It's really tough. A punishment of telling the truth is isolation slash exclusion from others. Well, see, that's that's the anal black pill that's too big, right? That's you sitting on a black watermelon. No, I, I, I tell the truth in my personal relationships. I tell the truth in this show. So it, it comes down to this lovely jazz corner of the Internet. That's so be it. So be it. Uh, do you have a small group of people that you use for fellowship fortitude that's outside of your wife and daughter? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I mean, especially with lockdown, right? I spend most of my time with my wife and daughter. But yes, uh, we have friends, we have society. Um, I just went out for a day uh, with a, a group of friends and, and we had a great time and all of that. So yes, you do need uh, you do need that for sure. Good morning, everyone. Almost 4 a.m. here. Oh, <laughs> thank you for joining me at this point. Um, some therapies don't involve talking about childhood. I find it re-traumatizing. Thoughts? Well, so you, again, I'm not a therapist, but I'll tell you what I think philosophically speaking. So why do you, why do you talk about your childhood? You talk about your childhood because it has lessons still to teach you. So if you were, if you were traumatized as a child, the odds are that you're going to 
find yourself repeatedly in situations of potential trauma and abuse as an adult because you're used to managing abusers. That's your sense of power. That's your sense of efficacy. That's what you do. That's the muscle you've developed. So you're used to managing abusers. And so we generally gravitate for better and for worse to what we're good at. So I'll give you a silly example. So when I was in my early teens, maybe 13, I asked the queen bee of the school app, because she had a lock in near mine, I asked the queen bee of the school app. Now, where did I ask her? Well, at the time, I was on the swim team. I was on the water polo team. I would spend hours learning how to do double flip dives and twist flip dives, and I was just a massive aquatic growing gills swimming guy. And I looked damn fine in a bathing suit, let me tell you. So that was my thing. And especially the like twisty, uppy-downy, corkscrew dives, I was really good at those. And that, that was my thing. So where do I ask the girl to go on a date with me? Let's go swimming, right? Because that's what, what I'm good at. We tend to gravitate to that which we are good at. We tend to want to bring people into the area in which we're good at. So if you were traumatized as a child, you spent 18 years probably managing abusers. And that's the only sense of power, the only sense of authority, the only sense of competence that you had probably, at least the major one. And so as an adult, you are drawn to using your skills. You know, like if, if you speak English and you move to some country and you don't speak that country's language, where do you gravitate to? You gravitate towards some expat community where people speak English because that's the language you know and it's hard to learn another language. So if you're used to managing abusers as an adult, you'll be drawn to managing abusers. You've heard me say this on the show a million times. Somebody's got a difficult girlfriend. I ask about their mom. Their mom is pretty much the same and they're just exercising those skills, right? You understand that. So that which saved you as a child is damning you as an adult. Managing crazy people as a child was a necessity. Managing crazy people as an adult is not a necessity. So the reason you go back to your childhood in therapy, I think, is because you have not learned the lesson to stay away from abusive people. Now, as a child, you couldn't because they were your family. You didn't choose them. You were stuck there. So as a child, you could not do that. Now, as an adult, though, you have a choice. So you don't go into talk about your childhood to weep and wail and gnash about what happened in the past but to get the lessons and say, I must let go of the only competence I really know, which is managing crazy people and have sane people around. That's what I got to aim for. I love your show. It's brilliant. Thank you for helping me become a better parent. Greetings from Norway. Thank you very much. I appreciate that as well. I wrote a list of people in my life and posted it on my door to remind me of who may have wanted me to be suicidal for nearly a year until it became clear. Oh, gosh. Sorry about that. Raised by Narcissists is a huge forum on Reddit. Yes, but I bet you they're mostly talking about themselves. Just kidding. Massive sympathy for people raised by Narcissists. You know that old joke about, uh, well, but enough about me. Why don't you tell me what you think of me? Some of the support forums are full of victimhood, not taking any self-blame. I've been to a Narcissist victim support group for five years, have mixed experience, but as a whole, a huge positive. So, you know, the big danger of... The victim groups, in my humble opinion, and I'm sure some of them, if not many of them, are, are wonderful, but first of all, it's the perpetual victimhood, and secondly, it is not detaching from persistent abusers. It's uh, giving yourself the fantasy that you can change people who have a bad conscience. I, I, said, I said this on a bunch of times on my show, and I've been saying it lately quite a bit. If you've not harmed a child, if you've not done great wrong or evil in your life, you don't know what it's like to live with a bad conscience, and you're kind of fundamentally dealing with a totally different kind of human being. It's very, very different when you are 
um, when you have a decent conscience and you're dealing with somebody who's got a really bad conscience, you have no idea what kind of... Like if you're not addicted to drugs and you're with someone who's a total drug addict, your experiences are just very different. And being addicted to manipulation as a result of having a bad conscience is a very, very different type of type of life. And it's really, really hard to cross over. And you never want to mistake the world for yourself and judge people by how you would approach things. Because if you have a decent conscience, you just approach things very di differently because there's not a bomb in the brain that could go off any minute that you've got to constantly deal with. All right. Did you always instinctively have this skill with metaphors? Literally laughed out loud with that watermelon-sized black milk comment. I think so. I think so. Um, they just come trippingly off the tongue, I suppose. And I try not, the other thing, too, I try not to reuse my analogies. Like, I've never used that kitchen drawer one before, right? I try not to reuse my analogies because one of the things that I've always disliked in, in people who speak in a public forum arena is that they just use the same stories and the same analogies over and over and over again. Harry Brown, unfortunately, despite his brilliance, was really bad uh, this way. He's just telling the same stories over and over again. And so I think that when you go into the same stories, the same analogies, you go into a kind of fugue state, you go on autopilot, and it doesn't help your connection with whoever you're talking to. But if you constantly challenge yourself to come up with new analogies, new ways of talking about things, new ways of describing things, then you keep that muscle fresh. You don't go into a fugue state, and you're much better able to connect with the audience through the tunnel of thumb all right see there's another one uh so yeah it's just it's like saying how can you how can you bench press 400 pounds it's like well a lot of practice right let's see here nothing on the internet compares to this show other shows don't even compare to uncourage and honesty well thank you i really can't help but agree uh, and uh, i and appreciate that and of course i'm dealing with the deepest people in the present and the wisest people in the future who we hope to help forge through our conversation I got 40 minutes left, and so my limit here is an hour on locals. And uh, for those of you who are coming by, it's nice to see everyone. For those of you who are coming by, you can sign up. You get 12 months for the price of 10, and um, you get the subscriber-only shows, and I will be doing subscriber-only. I think you have to be a subscriber to make a comment. Am I right about that? So uh, I, I may have skimmed the email about how to do this. So anyway, uh, let's see here. Uh, any suggest any suggested steps for digging into my doubt in the relationship? I already shared with my partner that I was feeling fear of getting married. She was very open and supportive. Extra context. We're both 28. And I used a lot of free domain content to vet her so far. Uh, you guys are welcome to send me an email. Call in at freedomain.com and uh, I can talk with one or both of you. Uh, I'd certainly be happy. If she's the right person to you, uh, it's bad to have the doubts. I mean, it's, it's important to have the doubts. But it's bad to keep having them if they're unjust. If she's the wrong person for you, it's really, really important. Uh, let's see. How did you find out therapy is good for normies? I mean, there's a fair amount of science studying the effects of people's therapy and their effects on their happiness and so on. So, I have thrown up my abusive parents for my life for five years now. Thanks a lot, Steph. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that, but uh, I had, a, I had a, a grim thought the other day that I was happy my mom has lived so long because if she, if she had died right after I had defood, I wouldn't have gained that much. But the fact that it's now 25 years uh, means it much more uh, it was much more valuable to have done what I did, right? All right. So, um, what creates a narcissist? Is it childhood abuse? I think so. I, I, again, whatever genetic components there are, I can't really speak to, but uh, genetics in personality to me are just potentials, not actuals, right? It's just potentials. I know this from the Bomb in the Brain series. If you haven't seen that, bombinthebrain.com. There are uh, boys with the warrior gene 
if they're exposed to physical abuse, 100% of them become criminals. If they're not exposed to criminal to, to physical abuse, they don't, right? So um, epigenetics is potential, not actual. So how do you create uh, a narcissist? You make, you make it absolutely impossible for that person to have any kind of true self, right? The true, authentic, empirical, curious, communicative, spontaneous, natural self you simply make it absolutely impossible for that child to have a true self. So uh, two, two fundamental kinds of abuse. The first kind is the kind where the parents just blow up and they yell at you, but they don't pursue you, right? They don't pursue you. So I spent massive portions of the age of 10 to 15 out of the house. I mean, I worked sometimes two, sometimes three jobs. I would uh, go hiking with friends. Uh, we would go and uh, buy a tin of beans and have a little cookout in the woods. We would uh, go garbage picking. Uh, everything had to be free because we were broke, right? Um, I would uh, piece together a bike from pieces, and I made my own bikes on a regular basis, and we would go biking all over the place and, and so on, right? I just you spend massive amounts of time away from home. And for the most part, I wasn't really punished for that every now and then. I remember the first time, uh, I was in a writing class for grade 13s, and uh, everybody went to a bar, and I was, believe it or not, I was in grade 8, and I, somehow I got into the bar, and <laughs> I didn't drink anything, but I was in the bar chatting, and so on, and I, I went back, and my mom was really mad, smacked me across the face, because she was worried where I was, but for the most part, it was out of sight, out of mind. I mean, occasionally I'd get these nags like, you treat this place like a hotel, and it's like, why don't you treat this place like a hotel and wash the sheets once in a while? <laughs> Why don't you treat this place like a hotel and tidy up once in a while? Why don't you treat this place like a hotel and wipe down the counters once in a while, you slag? I mean, I'd love to have treated that place like a hotel because it had been more like a hotel. I wouldn't have been gone so long. So, But my mom mostly just gave me that full-on anarchic, free-range childhood in that she just wanted to be alone. Uh, you know, I would go up to summer camp for sometimes six weeks. I remember there were two weeks stints that I went up, went up for three, six weeks straight in the summer. So she was like, get out, get out of my way. If you're in my way, I'll, I'll hit you, I'll scroll, scream at you, I'll yell at you. But she wasn't somebody who, you can't go anywhere, I'm going to sit in your room, uh, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to corner you. I'm, so I was able to develop or at least maintain my natural true self because I was undisturbed by authority. Uh, I was allowed to roam free. Now, that's one type of abuse, which is just lash-out kind of abuse, but it's not hot pursuit. It's not stalking. Now, the other kind of abuse is when the abuser is not just... My mom was never sadistic. She was chaotic and violent, but she was never sadistic. That would have required her to focus on someone else, I think. And so the people who have parents or abusers who track them, who obsess about them, who corner them, who keep them home then there's no place for you to go out and have a true self. There's no natural, spontaneous interactions. They manage to control everything about your life. And I think they wet finger out the candle of the true self to the point where there's just no place for it to grow. They just put the plants in the basement and they expire for lack of sunlight. So I think that the narcissist is like there's nothing left because they've just been cornered and pushed into non-existence, or tortured into non-existence, really. How does a parent raise a child in today's world, limit or expose, uh, avoid exposure to communist propaganda? So, yeah, I mean, talk to them about it. Talk to them about what's going on in culture, in society. Say it's not called television, it's television programming. It's called programming for a reason. Uh, sit with them and watch 
and just get older stuff. You know, go back to the My Three Sons, go back to the Leave It to Beaver, go back to, you know, you can read Animal Farm, you can read, um, uh, my, my daughter did Animal Farm with me, we're currently doing um, The Great Gatsby, we did um, Lord of the Flies, and just, you know, older stuff, which is often a lot healthier, right? Uh, thank you for your recent comments on division of labor in the couple. A good reminder for wives who work less hours is to keep up in the household. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Coming from a wife, by the way, for sure. I mean, the studies are pretty clear, and certainly my empirical evidence is very clear, that if the man is able to fully focus on his career, you'll end up making a lot more money than if both people are trying to focus on their careers. Uh, thank you so much for sending me uh, money through uh, PayPal, I guess, back in November. I appreciate that. No, you didn't get me kicked off that platform. That was a, a whole other thing. Yes, you need to be a subscriber to make a comment. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Uh, does your daughter have trouble finding other healthy children that she's on the same level with in terms of maturity, confidence, curiosity, intelligence, etc.? I mean, I would say yes and no. I mean, we, we do vet families pretty pretty closely. Um, but uh, I sort of hate to say, you know, I've spoiled her by being such good company, but because she enjoys my company so much, she's constantly like, let's go for brunch. And and I enjoy her company so much. It's a little bit tougher for other people to compete, but, uh, and, and she generally, if she's around older kids, that's a lot better because a, a friend of hers who is uh, uh, 17 was like, talking to you is like talking to a 16-year-old. And I think that's I think that's right. Steph, you say men should avoid women with piercings and tattoos. I hate them personally, but wonder what brings you to such a conclusion. My older sister's going, is going, got five tattoos in just six months. Well, because it's it's our selected branding, right? Because a tattoo is, I want the cool hip factor now without thinking about how it's going to look when you're 70 or how it's going to look when you got a job interview or how it's going to look when you get a normal, healthy guy who sees all this weird painful art. It's incredibly painful. It has negative economic benefits. It's basically saying... I don't really think that much about the future. I'm a now-based life form, and I'm willing to endure pain for the sake of cool, and I'm not happy with how I look naturally or normally. It's just bad as a whole. Just bad as a whole. Ugh, The Great Gatsby is terrible. I don't agree. I don't agree. Uh, the Great Gatsby, first of all, the language. F. Scott Fitzgerald was an absolutely astoundingly beautiful writer. Are the people nice? Are the people good? Well, no, but he'd be the first person to tell you that they're all monstrous. So, you know, you, you need, you know, if you're going to go hiking in the woods, you teach your children about the snakes. And if you're going to put your kids out into the world, as they're going to be, you teach your children about immoral, dangerous, and evil people. So, uh, I think narcissism, as far as nurture causes, may also be perpetuated by parents reinforcing entitlements in children. I know a few narcissists that were raised as princesses. They most likely would not be perceived to have been abused. Well, sure, but not... So parents who spoil children are just lying to them because parents want to say no, but they don't say no. And so you've just got to be honest with your kids. Spoiling children is just a form of uh, abuse because you are withdrawing necessary information from your children. Spoiling children is like just letting them eat candy and never exercise and never taking them to the dentist. It's just a form of future destruction for the sake of present conflict avoidances. Desperately unhealthy. And, uh, of course, if the parents are manipulating the child and appeasement or spoiling is a form of manipulation no doubt about that if the parents are just doing nothing but manipulating the child then what's going to happen is the child is going to manipulate right back and there's no honesty there's no true self-interaction and it dies that way thoughts on self-harm cutting etc so um 
uh, I was talking to somebody recently about this, uh, the woman um, whose parents put her through these self-criticism or massive criticism struggle sessions, and she would dig her own nails into a palm because the physical pain was easier than the emotional pain. So physical pain is a way of distracting yourself from the emotional pain, and the emotional pain is incredibly strong because there's zero sympathy in your environment. And if you have sympathy in your environment, you won't need to self-cut. At least that's my particular theory. Uh, hey, Steph, Bitcoin, when moon... Oh, wait, thoughts on enmeshment trauma, especially with the mother. Oh, no personality, no identity, just fusion. Yeah, that's pretty boring. Bitcoin, we'll probably do another roundtable soon, so I'll wait on that. Right? Uh, what insights do you have about how CCP has made Chinese parenting terrible, especially in comparison to Taiwan? So again, under communism, parents have to train their children to survive under communism, which means shut up, don't talk about things, don't be honest, don't reveal things. And there may be things that you simply don't reveal to your children because it could be dangerous if they mention to anyone else. So, you know, the, the totalitarianism uh, destroys the parent-child bond by having the parents never be able to be really honest with, uh, uh, with the kids. It's absolutely brutal. Uh, my mom spoils my four-year-old cousin to get her out of her hair, shutting her up with chocolate when she has a tantrum. So sad. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is sad. Uh, just arrived. Was wondering what your thoughts on the CPI data was today. I'm sorry, I haven't dropped past zero hedge to what, what just hit me with what is the CPI data at the moment today. Did we hit double digits yet? Uh, thoughts on getting a tattoo to cover up past self-harm. Can people who have done it be redeemed? Isn't it a red flag for potential partners? Well, but can't you get um, uh, can't you get scar removal sort of abrasion or something like that? Uh, again, I'm no dermatologist, but my understanding is that you can get some amelioration of scars. I put a lot of uh, this goo stuff on my scar to kind of keep at minimum the surgery scar I had. So, uh, what is uh, what is the inflation? Uh, I would, you know, in general, I would say prepare. It rose to 5.4%, but manipulation is at play. Well, 5.4% is fairly high. I assume that they've kept out things like um, uh, gas. I assume they've kept out things like housing, in which case it's very high. Uh, I, personally, my personal opinion, I think it's time to get some food in the basement and get ready for some potential shortages. Um, I have to uh, I have to get a fridge, and uh, I'm telling you, some of the fridges that I'm looking at, you can't get to get them delivered for over a year. In other words, they're back ordered that much. So yeah, pretty, it's pretty bad. I have tats. Regret all of them. Don't do it. Oh yeah, and one of my friends in theater school was getting tattoos removed, which was an ungodly painful process. Just horrible. Just horrible. I had a tattoo laser removed. Expensive and painful, but works. Yeah, it burns like hell, right? I mean, it is literally like getting your arm half sawn off. At least this is what my friend said. And I mean, he really regretted getting the tattoos. But of course, at the time, he was R selected. And anyway, so yeah, it's very, very bad idea. Very bad idea. Yeah, I would say it's it's time to, you know, get some freeze-dried stuff in the basement, in uh, my opinion. Uh, and um, there's lots of places you can get this stuff. This stuff lasts 25 years. Worst case scenario, you eat your mistake, so to speak, right? But it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So we've got a minute. So I think I will obviously close things out here because we've been going for almost an hour. Uh, first of all, love you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, sorry, one more compliment. Okay, fine. I'll do a compliment. Wanted to compliment you on your listening skills during your call-in shows. Listening is quite an art form to do it well. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so freedomain.com forward slash donate. You guys don't need to really hear this. You're here. You can join up here, uh, which I would really appreciate. Very helpful. Will this be uploaded elsewhere? I'm not sure. I don't know. I will have to mull that over. It's not bad having some bonuses here, though, right? And uh, I think useful and great conversation. I might put it out as a, as a podcast. All right. 
30 seconds. Let's end under the wire. Um, thank you for your patience as I got this going. Um, uh, give me some time. So we'll we'll schedule this on a regular basis. And um, I love you guys for the support that you show me. It really, really helps more than I can possibly express to have uh, a crew that's behind me in these difficult times. So lots of love from up here. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.